Hello everyone, greetings and welcome to yet another episode of the Cricket Slouch. This is SP, your usual host, and today I'm accompanied by Shonak, our recurring guest who writes for the Emerging Cricket uh, website and is a champion supporter for the less established cricket teams. Hello, Shonak. Hello, Sagar. Nice to, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. And the other guest that I have is Sandeep, who is a founding member of this podcast and someone who will never pass the Tebit test. Hello, Sandeep. <laughs> hello, hello. Thanks for that introduction. <laughs> uh, w- welcome to the podcast, both of you. Thank you for joining me on a nice, uh, pleasant Sunday. Well, at least it's pleasant in Perth. I don't know what it's like in Leeds. <laughs> and I suppose yes. the pleasantry, uh, the pleasantries are made even more pleasant by news of uh, Australia winning that first Test match. Um, Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyway, but we are yeah. not here to talk about the Ashes. We are here to talk about the ICC World Cup qualifying tournament which, uh, you know, feeds into the World Cup in October that's going to be held in India, for which the schedule still hasn't been published. Now, (laughs) Shonak, would you be kind enough and let our listeners know why we are having the World Cup qualifiers? Basically, we're having the World Cup qualifier uh, because you only have 10 teams in the World Cup, of which eight have already qualified. Uh, so how the top eight was determined, uh, we played a tournament or ICC organized a tournament, which was called the ODI Super League, which was arranged over a period of three years. Uh, basically, it's uh, the top 13 ODI nations um, with the 12 full members and the 13th team was Netherlands, who made it into that league courtesy of winning um, the Intercontinental Cup, I think, back in the day. Uh, anyway, so the top eight from that, uh, qualified to the tournament. India as the host qualifies automatically, but they also finished in the top eight. Now the bottom five from that, and as well as there was another two, a couple of other tournaments going on below that 13 team tournament, which was the Cricket World Cup League Two and the ICC Challenge League. So just to narrow it down and really summarize it you know, without taking up too much of your time, basically the top, um, the top few teams from the Cricket World Cup League 2 and the top two teams from Group A and Group B of the Challenge League, they all went into the World Cup qualifier playoffs, of which a couple of the teams made qualified into the qualifier. So we we had a qualifier for the qualifier. And then the bottom five teams from the Super League, as well as the top three teams from the Cricket World Cup League 2, they made it automatically into the qualifier. So thankfully, they didn't have to play another qualifier to make it here. And essentially how the qualifier is organized, it's made up of 10 teams arranged into two groups of five, of which the top three from group A and group B make it into the super six stage. And of which only the the top two teams make it to the World Cup proper in India. I don't know why they have to make it so complicated. Yeah, the reason for that is just the unfortunately because of the exclusive nature of the tournament and what ICC could have done, they could have opened up. So I'm I'm glad they had the super leap. So at least you can argue there was some form of meritocratic um, qualification that was happening that in that uh, Australia, India just didn't qualify automatically on rankings. They actually had to play games in the Super League. But even then, the Super League wasn't perfect either because not... Um, so all the teams didn't play each other. You know, they only played like eight 
against eight of the fellow teams in that league. And and then, you know, the India-Pakistan situation, like making that more complicated. Uh, anyway, it was an imperfect tournament, but I'm glad they had something. And it's sad that it's been ditched for the next edition. Um, so I think we will be going back to... Uh, so thankfully, the World Cup also expands back to 14 teams in 2027. So what's going to happen is probably the ICC is going to go back to rankings to determine the top eight teams. As for the other six, like who only knows, like nothing has been released so far by ICC, but there are strong suspicions and rumors around floating around that um, Netherlands, the Cricket World Cup League 2 is still going to continue because it was a hit, you know, and fans really enjoyed that. Uh, It gave uh, the teams below the top tier a lot of good match practice in ODI cricket. And there are strong rumors floating around that Netherlands are going to join them. So it's going to be like an eight-team competition. But uh, no details have been released yet. So, you know, who knows? What if India had not finished in the top eight? I mean, they would get the automatic qualification as the host team anyway, isn't it? So would that mean that there was only one? Would that mean there was only one spot available for qualification then? I think then what would happen is they would just may have the top so India would still qualify. Say say India finished ninth, right? right. So India would still qualify. But instead of the top eight, they will just have the top seven qualify plus India. And then the team that finished eighth, they would have to qualify even though they finished above India. (laughs) (laughs) And and then who determined all the tournaments are going to be held in Australia, England and India or themselves, you know, when they did the big three takeover (laughs) in 2014. So yeah, you know that's, that's, where that's the, cricket for you. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. That, that's where the money is. And uh, speaking of cricket administration, uh, Jared Kimber recently did a very good uh, episode with uh, was it Matt Roller or someone? He, he did it with somebody, and uh, it, it really. Uh, I think the title of that episode is "The Gentleman Always Dies Twice," and I, I would recommend people listen to that when it comes to finding out how cricket administration has been absolutely inept over all these years and the globalization of the game that should have been done a lot earlier still hasn't happened. But that's for another discussion. And have you guys been enjoying this particular qualifier so far? Yeah, I mean, uh, we are quite lucky that Sky Sports is telecasting one match a day. So I've been able to uh, watch some matches, at least some of it. Uh, I watched the Zimbabwe-Nepal match uh, Ireland, Scotland, and uh, uh, the yester- the match yesterday, West Indies, uh, uh, Zimbabwe. And I think the w- most impressive bit was that uh, all the matches attract- has attracted a decent crowd. Um, I mean, for the Zimbabwe matches, of course, you would expect the home crowd to turn up. But even for the Ireland-Scotland match, uh, uh, the, the, the school kids had come uh, to watch the match. So, I mean, it was very impressive. So, who says that uh, cricket can't grow in other places uh, outside the big three nations. That's uh, a lot of rubbish. Uh, so, yeah, it was... Uh, so, I've been able to watch a few matches and, uh, I mean, we had a we had a shock result when Oman defeated uh, Ireland. Uh, <laughs> there was a there was a thriller uh, when Scotland beat uh, Ireland in the last ball of last ball of the match, and then, uh, of course, there was the big one yesterday, uh, which I mean I don't know where West Indies goes from here, but I mean it was a remarkable win for uh, Zimbabwe, uh, considering that they were defending a smallish target, and 
um, I, I think it is going to be all uphill for West Indies from here now. Now, I was just saying that West Indies have managed to get into the Super 6 stage, but uh, the question remains how many points they can actually carry with them because the other two teams that are uh, going through are likely to be Zimbabwe and Netherlands. West Indies have lost against Zimbabwe and uh, the they Netherlands to game play, is so yet to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's really uh, difficult to say w- what's likely to happen. They they really need to pick their game up for now. Yeah, so Group A is pretty much closed at this stage. So um, yes. Zimbabwe, Netherlands and West Indies have actually already qualified. So there's no way remaining for Nepal or USA to go through. However, that said, there's a lot, as you just mentioned, Sagar, there's a lot to be played for, uh, for West, the West Indies. They, ha- they Pretty much there's a must-win game for them against the Netherlands. Because if they win that game, then they carry over two points into the Super 6. Uh, and it's likewise for the Netherlands. Uh, because they've already lost to Zimbabwe, uh, they also have to win against the West Indies to carry over two points. Um, otherwise, if... Because uh, West Indies are, you know, I'll, I'll say they are strong favorites uh, against Netherlands, especially Netherlands have such a weakened bowling lineup, missing several of their players due to county commitments. Um, West Indies are most likely to carry over two points with Netherlands zero, and Zimbabwe are in pole position. So they have four points uh, going into the qualifier, and then depending on who qualifies from Group B, uh, they're going to be playing against them. So if they can pick up, you know, another couple of wins or even one win, it's very good. It's looking actually very good for Zimbabwe. We are recording this before both the Group B games start today. So what we'll do is towards the end of this episode, we'll talk about our uh, likely winning predictions from today's games. But, uh, you know, Sri Lanka, the way things are, are definitely head and shoulders above all the other nine teams in the tournament so far, just in the way and the manner in which they have played, the dominance that they have shown against the opposition as well. And uh, yeah. you know, I had expected that West Indies would have put up similar performances, especially against unfancied teams like uh, USA and probably even to an extent against Nepal. But uh, th- that didn't really materialize, did it? Yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, I haven't been surprised by Sri Lanka. Um, they look by far the strongest team going to the tournament and they have been thoroughly comprehensive in their defeats. Now, they have also been a bit lucky that they fell into Group B, which arguably is the easier of the two groups uh, because mm. you don't have to play the host nation, at least in the group stage. And you, mm. you're don't also not playing the other you know, full member West Indies, like an Ireland... Yeah, <laughs> Ireland have a full-strength team. I honestly expected them to be far better. So it's it's been a bit surprising. And, you know, but what I would say, the team that has surprised me the most is Oman because I wrote a preview for Emerging Cricket <laughs> arguing that um, they will probably finish last in Group B considering they that have such an aging squad. Um, so their team average is like 33, which is comfortably the oldest squad in the qualifier. And they have a couple of players, 40 years old, and all their star players are like either 33 or past 35. So it's a very, very aging old team. So I'm, I'm so, surprised that they... And they, they had little match practice as well going to the tournament. So I'm surprised how well they've done. They beat not only beat well, Ireland, they also beat UAE pretty comfortably. And what, what we'll do is we'll wait for today's match against Scotland to finish, and then maybe you can order that serving of humble pie. <laughs> yeah, too. Right? Um, okay. Um, 
any major surprises for you, Sandeep? Any particular team that you have been impressed by? I mean, I have been absolutely impressed by the way Zimbabwe has gone about their campaign so far. Yeah, I, I think Zimbabwe definitely. Uh, but as Sean said, Oman has been quite impressive as well. I mean, beating Ireland. Ireland is a test-playing nation at the end of the day, and beating them was a big upset. Uh, and uh, as Sean said, that they are quite an aging team. And they did rack up a lot of wins at the start of the qualifiers, uh, the qualifier to this qualifier, didn't they? I mean, but uh, over the yeah. last year or so, they have been sort of fading away. So it was a big surprise when they actually turned the tables on Ireland. Uh, I think, I mean, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but uh, every single team that wins the toss has been choosing to bowl in this match, in, in this uh, tournament. And apparently this is because the bowlers get some uh, movement early on and then the pitch becomes conducive for batting. So mostly it is the chasing teams that have won apart from the odd ones like uh, Sri Lanka and West Indies uh, winning their match. But that was quite mismatched uh, against mismatched teams, isn't it? Yesterday, that's why it makes Zimbabwe's win so so much more impressive because uh, they, they, they lost the toss, West Indies bowled first and then they struggled early on that they did Zimbabwe, but they did not lose wickets uh, to start off with. But then they lost about four wickets and then uh, still they managed to finish at 268 and defended that so successfully. So that's 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 what makes it so impressive about the Zimbabwe win. Yeah, so yesterday's game was pretty incredible. Like I pretty much watched the whole thing. The crowd was amazing. And the way the game ebbed and flowed, oh, it was it was classic, you know. It was probably the second best game of the qualifier so far after the Ireland Scotland uh, thriller. Um, yeah, so what impressed me that um, it, so I thought West Indies would win because even when they were five wickets down, the equation was actually pretty simple. So I'm very impressed by how Zimbabwe kept themselves in the game. And oh, what can you say about Sikander Raza? Like he's an absolute superstar. I'm I'm still a bit worried that uh, batting wise, Zimbabwe are still very reliant on the old guard of uh, Williams, um, Craig Irvine, and Raza. And then none of the new players, like, you know, they have made consistent performances. I think Ryan Burr was good today, but, uh, good yesterday, sorry. But, um, yeah, so their batting is a bit, uh, I mean, it's good now as long as the senior guys are playing. But it's, I guess it could be a problem area going forward. But Zimbabwe's bowling has, you know, I, I'm not surprised because Muzarabani and Ngarawa are probably one of the best uh, opening combos in, like, lower level full member cricket, you know, with their height and their bounce, and the movement they generated. And then they also have the spinners to back that up with, like, Raza especially. Yeah, no, I yeah. think his contribution has been absolutely invaluable, both with the bat and the ball, because uh, what did he take? Two wickets he took yesterday at uh, Crucial Juncture? Yeah. yeah. And not only that, but I think he also scored 68 runs at more than run a ball, uh, you know, when everybody else was batting at around the strike rate of 80 or less. So, you know, it does, that does make a really crucial impact in the, um, in the grand scheme of things. Um, you know, if he continues to play this way, I suppose he would be the leading candidate for player of the series as well. Even though Craig Irvine and Sean Williams have hit hundreds, but Raza just has that edge because he's got those wickets as well. The other thing in yesterday's match was when Raza and Ryan Burl, they came to the crease, they they were dropped. For, I mean, the West Indies dropped about five catches, three of Raza and two of uh, Ryan Burl, and that didn't help their 
because uh, because if they've taken at least one of those catches, I d- I couldn't see Zimbabwe getting past two hundred. Uh, but th- I mean, some of the catches were pretty hard, I must say. But I mean, you have to take these catches if you need to win. They drop sitters, you know, especially at the top level uh, professional sport. You know, you can't afford to make uh, mistakes like that. Today we've got two really crucial ones. So the Sri Lanka-Ireland match is basically a game of is a match that determines Ireland's survival in this uh, tournament as such. Because you know if they can pull off a win over here, at least they've got a chance because they have only got one more match left, which they are likely to UAE. win against UAE. Yeah. That's right. Uh, whereas the other game, Oman and Scotland, I think it would be safe to say that they are the whoever wins is definitely going through to the next round but whoever loses they then have to rely on the outcome of the other two games the the, the ones that Ireland plays plus i think for Oman and Scotland it's also an issue about bragging rights and basically for both those teams to carry those extra two points into the next round and boost up their respective run rate because when Oman lost against Sri Lanka their run rate took an absolute hammer oh, yeah <laughs> Wasn't it? They were absolutely shellacked. Yeah. I think they scored, what, not even 100. They scored 98 in about 30 overs, and then Sri Lanka scored that in 15. Yeah, without losing a wicket as well. I think Sri, Sri Lanka has taken this very seriously, haven't they? I mean, they've selected a very strong team. Uh, they, they prepared quite well as well before coming in. They, they played a series versus Afghanistan, uh, where they lost one match, but they came back to win the series 2-1. So they, they made good preparation and they're not taking it lightly at all. And that's showing. Uh, I think Hasaranga is um, a, a bit too much for the uh, associate teams to handle at the moment. He's been absolutely phenomenal as Hasaranga. Yeah, so here, here's an impressive stat that I'll throw at you guys regarding Hasaranga. He's ta- so he's the highest wicket taker, um, taking 11 wickets. He's, you know what he's averaging? He's averaging 3.36 in the tournament, which is like insane. <laughs> And economy rate of two point four. Yeah, an economy and rate of two point four. It's like, God, what is this kid gully cricket? <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think you know. Look, like even in top tier cricket, people know what he's capable of. And I think when you put him or bracket him amongst these teams, obviously he is going to be yeah. a dominant force over there. And I think yeah. that is the difference between truly good quality teams and players that, you know, when it comes to evenly matched opponents, they put in respectable performances. But when they come across opponents who are just at that level beneath them, you know, they just smash them. And and that is what is expected of really good top tier teams or players. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. On that same note, you know, uh, I've been disappointed by how Josh Little has gone. So Josh Little famously was in the IPL. Uh, He made all the, I think his team made the IPL final and he played in the IPL final. So correct me if I'm wrong. But yeah, Josh Little, he was good in the first game, um, the one against Oman that they lost. And then the second game, like he was so disappointing. I think they should have won that against Scotland, the situation they were in. But Michael Leask played an absolute blinder and he smashed Little for like a 22 run over, which basically was the turning point. And, you know, once Scotland came, I've been a bit disappointed with how he's gone because he's like a genuine tall left arm um, speedster uh, who can, you know, bowl upwards of 140 kilometers per hour, which is very rare commodity in international cricket. 
to forget that uh, Ireland didn't play him in that test match against England just for the reason that they wanted him well rested and prepared yes. for this particular qualifier as well. Absolutely. So in that context, you know, it's even more disappointing. But, you know, you, Ireland have pulled out surprises before. I mean, they have they can lose to Oman, they can lose to UAE, but they've also beaten South Africa, England in the past. <laughs> they've beaten West Indies in a one-day series away. So, you know, it, uh, but I think I still think, but we'll do, I know we'll do predictions later. So that that's all I'll say. But yeah, it's mm. looking very dicey for them at the moment. And So either they pick up their game right now and i think they'll have to beat sri lanka by a reasonably good margin as well because l- let's not forget that in terms of run rates uh that they're not exactly sitting in a very good spot theirs is a negative 1.77 and scotland is sitting on a positive 1.14 whereas sri lanka is sitting mm. at a hefty 4.22 so basically yeah. even if yeah so with scotland even if they lose both both their games i think they are pretty comfortable they'll be going through so for ireland well, it depends yeah, on yeah. depends on how close those matches are because if they lose even one by a very big margin that that run rate will drop i guess which is possible because they haven't played sri lanka yet so you know that's that's still possible so yeah i think i should we should hold our horses <laughs> and see but yeah, it's not looking good for Ireland. I mean, not even to make the Super Six, that would be like a huge, um, yeah. That's pretty disappointing. I mean, they were in the running for direct qualification till the very end. I mean, in the Super League and now not to qualify, even if the qualifiers would be a bit low. I wonder how much uh, lack of preparation has done them in because they were busy playing a test match versus England uh, before this So. Uh, and uh, they were not in the ODI mood. Whether that had any impact, I don't know. But um, maybe they were better off playing, playing a warm-up uh, series, ODI series against some other country rather than play England in a test match just before this. Yeah, even then, Sandeep, I would argue, though, that, uh, I mean, test matches against England, they're a tough proposition, especially at, in English conditions. And England are a very, very strong team. So you would have, one would have thought that that would have been somewhat of a good preparation for them. But I'm just surprised by like how yeah. ineffective they've been. On one hand, they have to make sure that the players are in a match-fit condition. But on the other hand, I think the test match with England is also about making sure that Ireland don't fall back or fall behind on their test match commitments, the revenue that they get from the test matches they played. Because let's let's face it, it's not like they are hosting England. England were hosting them. There's a chance to play at Lords. You know, you, you, some 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 of these things actually do rub off. And you know, when your fellow country people look at your team and see you doing well at these important locations. It, it kind of does have a trickle-down positive effect on the others. You know, more people might be encouraged to take up the game. And I would say that, you know, for all of Ireland's victory versus uh, Pakistan in the 2003 World Cup, I think it was their victory over England in 2011 that more or less got more people into the game and, you know, a- attracted a lot of admirers and fans, not just in Ireland, but to most of the other cricketing uh, community. Yes, I completely agree. The only correction is like Ireland um, beat Pakistan in 2007. Oh, seven, uh, yeah, 2007, not three. Yeah, yeah. yeah 2007, mm. yeah. So, you know, th- these things do matter. And I think it's not an easy task because, you know, sponsors are not lining up to, um, you know, put their 
business names on the backs of or the fronts of these guys' T-shirts and kids, uh, you know, as easily as they would do it for England or India or Australia. So, you know, they have to take these decisions. And uh, they were very clear that, you know, while they would rather focus on the preparation for the World Cup qualifier and the T20 World Cup qualifiers as well, you know, they have obligations to fulfill and, uh, you know, they need the revenue to come in, which is why you know they need to play that test match. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I, I don't think there's any other teams lining up for test match status as it is because, uh, you know, financial, it's not very financially viable for most of these teams. So I think we might, for a long, long time to come, you know, see no more new teams coming into the fray. Yeah, and the, and the problem with test match cricket is it's also losing its popularity in some of the four members. So outside of India, England and Australia, uh, you look at South Africa. So, okay, so people still follow test cricket. People still love test cricket. You know, you still see people following the scores online and uh, going on to Crickinfo to check the scores. But the ground attendance are quite, quite bad <laughs> outside <laughs> the big three nations. So that that's also a thing. And you can see, like, you know, in the way the FTP is structured, how much less test cricket all the other teams are playing, um, especially compared to the big three going forward. Um, so, yeah, that that's a worry because I still think that test cricket is the pinnacle of the game. But um, yet at the same time, um, I also hope that they keep expanding the one day and T uh, Twenty World Cups at the same time. I mean, it, so T Twenty World Cup is going to twenty teams from next year, which is great. Uh, with the one day World Cup, fourteen teams is okay, but they could do better and they could structure the tournament better rather than having two groups of seven. But you know that that's another subject for another podcast. But how about this? Here's an idea, right? Um, we know that you know Test cricket's popularity is dwindling. England's probably the only country where people are actually going to the grounds to watch the test matches. Um, how about allowing all these other teams, rather than having bilateral arrangements for tests, which you know quickly becomes very boring and monotonous, how about you have triangular four-day or five-day tournaments? You know, so you can have, let's say, Ireland, Afghanistan, Zimbabwe, and throw in another team over there. And so you guys play a quadrangular multination uh, test match tournament or a first class tournament, something like that. And then you select, and there be there should be incentives. Like if you finish amongst the top two, you then get to participate in the World Test Championship cycle. You know, pretty much similar to what we're doing with the Super League and the Cricket World Cup League too. Yeah, that's a that's a very good innovative idea. Um, I just that's just not sure because you know, like the the fixture list for these all these teams are so different, and it's so hard, so hard to align everything up. So, like, how viable that would be? But in any case, like you know, what the ICC at the least what they could do is they could institute some sort of test fund, which then the lower league teams, the lower full member teams. Um, like you know, who are not that profitable and they've, they exactly. don't make money of test cricket, they can at least use that, have access to those funds so that they can still play test cricket, you know, and then, then, then it doesn't just become a matter of the boards deciding, oh, hey, look, like we really want to play test cricket, but we're going to lose so much money that we are better off just concentrating on qualifying for the T20 and one-day World Cups because that's where we'll receive our funding. 
No, absolutely. And remember how we used to have the Intercontinental Cup, you know, that basically gave these people a chance to shine at that global stage and qualify to the next year's tournaments. So, and it's not just about funding for the games, but it's also about marketing. I mean, ICC does bugger all for marketing these matches and most of the home boards as well do very little to market these competitions. Whereas when you look at the Olympics, you look at your football World Cups or you know, any other major global tournaments, you just see ads, hoardings, people talking about it, uh, social media engagement. It's just there. Cricket, I don't think, has tapped fully into these uh, tools, so, so to speak. Yes, I'll just make two points, Sagar, before I give Sandeep a chance. So, uh, so one thing, yeah, you're absolutely correct that cricket could do a whole lot better in terms of marketing and it's quite a way behind like these other global sports the second point that i wanted to make was this world cup qualifier has been a nice surprise so from what i've read and what i've heard the tickets apparently have been priced very cheap and that's why you're seeing such a great attendance like which sandeep mentioned earlier on like the crowds have been amazing for the zimbabwe games but even for the neutral games the crowds have been amazing because um, the tickets are so cheap. So like kids, you know, who love cricket, they want to go and they watch um, not just their team, but even other teams. So, yeah, it, it's, I think it's been a great, a very well organized tournament so far. Yeah, I mean, I was just about to say that it's not just the big three that are opposed to sort of uh, setting up tiers in the uh, uh, in test cricket. I think the lower ranked teams are, I, I was reading this somewhere, that even the lower ranked teams don't want that to happen because uh, teams like West Indies, they've got a long history with England and they want England to come over to West Indies and play test cricket uh, because that's the source of revenue for them. And also England would love to go to West Indies and spend a week in Barbados and things like that for a holiday. And the Bami Army goes there and spends a lot of money. So it's uh, it's a win-win situation for everybody there. So I don't think they will give up this uh, sort of bilateral arrangement of series. Um, uh, it's not just the bigger teams, it's even the smaller teams who, who want it to remain as it is. So uh, it's going to be hard to convince anybody to co- come up with this uh, tier system, to be honest. Well, but then more than most of these countries and the boards uh, and the players shouldn't uh, complain about the death of the test match formats and the long formats of the games. And it's a shame that we are not attracting people in because, you know, your, your actions are going to have consequences and you better be ready to accept those consequences. You know, you can't have, you know, this cushy little bilateral arrangement and yet complain that, oh, there's not a lot of people watching the game. And you're absolutely right, Sean, to go there that, you know, if you make the game more accessible to people and that essentially involves TV coverage uh, rather than hiding it behind uh, pay-per-view channels or subscription channels, make it available on the terrestrial channels that are actually free to watch and then, uh, you know, have uh, easy access to the games at at the ground itself. You know, you make... ticket prices uh, affordable, and you basically make the process of obtaining those tickets uh, easy as well. Like anyone who has tried to get tickets, say, for example, in England or Australia versus tried to get tickets in India, they'll tell you the difference and how much easier it is to get these tickets in England and Australia compared to India. And then you have the facilities on the ground and things like that. So all of these, you know, make a big difference to get more and more people into the grounds. Follow the Zimbabwe model. (laughs) Yeah, we should call it the Zimbabwe model. 
2018. So the 2018 World Cup qualifier for the one-day World Cup, uh, it was a similar arrangement. Um, although we you know we didn't have Cricket World Cup League Two like we had the Intercontinental Cup, which you guys were referencing before. And it was the same arrangement. So you had 10 teams, two groups of five, and then the same tournament structure with the Super Sixes and the top two going to the World Cup. Even in that one, the crowd was great. But I think, you know, having rewatched some of the highlights of some of that and comparing it to now, I think it's even been better this time around. Now, just tell me this. This particular World Cup qualifying tournament, is that on ICC.tv? Uh, no. So generally, the other qualifiers are. So Cricket World Cup League 2 was on ICC.tv uh, pretty much through mm-hmm. the entire thing, or at least yeah. the later half of the uh, the competition. With this one, because it was sold to uh, terrestrial broadcasters, so for example, uh, Foxtel in Australia is showing one of the games. And as Sandeep mentioned, Sky in England is showing uh, one of the games as well. I think that's why it's not available on ICC.tv. Um the, the, yeah, I, I mean, I've been pretty much just watching it like normally on cable TV, but I'm actually not sure um, how what the arrangement is in other parts. I think in India, I've heard it's been shown on Hotstar and Star. Say, for example, you have fans in the USA who want to watch the games. They want to watch how USA is doing this particular tournament. Now, clearly, they don't have Foxtel and Sky over there. What, what do they watch these games on? Willow? Yeah, Willow generally shows um, cricket like that, although I have to confirm that. Uh, but I do know that Nate Hayes, who's one of Emerging Cricket's USA correspondents, he's been keeping up with the game somehow. So I've, 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 I should ask him <laughs> where he's watching it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so forget USA. Let, let's say you're a cricket fan in Kenya, Tanzania, or uh, even Uganda, right? Let, let's say you're a fan in Rwanda. Your, your team has just won the Kwebuka tournament. You're interested in watching how the rest of the African countries are faring at a global stage. You hear about Zimbabwe winning these matches. You want to see how they play. You know, what are the things they are doing different compared to your team and how your team can improve their game. Where do these guys watch these matches? Um, so don't quote me on this, but generally, I, th- I think this tournament is available on Supersport Africa, and that is available okay. in many African countries, although I, I should verify that. But uh, that that's how the arrangements have been in the past. So, for example, for the 2019 Cricket World Cup, it was mm. shown on Supersport, which is a South African sports channel. And um, based on what I read that that time, like that Supersport is also accessible in other parts of Africa, although I'm not sure if it's the same arrangement for this qualifier as well. Right. And my understanding is that Supersport, just like Foxtel and Sky Sports, is a paid subscription channel, isn't it? That's correct. Yep, it is. Yeah. So, yeah. So say, for example, if there is a household that doesn't have the extra funds to pay for subscription TV just for a two-week-long tournament, there's no way people can access it. And especially in a digital age where more and more people are going online for digital media consumption, whether it is sports, entertainment, films, TV shows, TikTok videos, whatever you name it. Cricket is definitely missing an opportunity over here by not getting these games online. Yeah, I, I, you could say definitely you could argue that it's a missed opportunity. Um, I mean, you could technically have a split arrangement, so you satisfy everyone where you have half the games available on broadcast TV and still have half the the others. Or like, you know, even from the, at least the semi, like the Super 6 stage, have those games on ICC TV so that everyone can watch it. 
um, and then give broadcasters exclusive access. So yeah, there's there's a lot of innovative things that could be done, but like yeah, not not sure exactly what happens behind the scenes when it comes to these yeah. things. Yeah, and uh, just like you mentioned earlier about having a separate test fund for some of these less fortunate teams, there is no reason that when the broadcast deals get penciled in or when the uh, you know the bidding process starts for the rights. You know, there's no reason why there can't be a clause put in that irrespective of who's broadcasting it on terrestrial TV or the Internet or any other streaming service, ICC still should retain a certain segment where, you know, whether they pay for this or they don't pay for this or it's part of the deal that, you know, a concurrent stream is available on ICC.TV so that other people can follow the games too. And then, you know, they can have ads on that stream as well. And that way they can generate a little bit uh, more revenue for the ICC website. And I'm sure there will be many fans who would be willing to pay something like 10 to $14 a month even just to access ICC.TV as long as they get all the major cricket matches on that particular platform. Uh, It's just my thought, but... You know. Yeah, so what you're saying, Sagar, it exists somewhat in other sports. So basketball has such an arrangement. Um, and like, no wonder, you know, so many young people watch basketball just because it's like so easy to access. Um, however, yeah, I, I'm happy that ICCTV exists. I mean, come to think of it, you know, just four or five years ago, we didn't even have that. So it's a start and I'd be interested to see how, how it goes. I mean, I'm glad it's there. And I'm glad that ICC.TV is showing tournaments like the Kuibuka T20 in Rwanda and then other associate um, domestic cricket and bilateral cricket. So it, it's it's a good uh, a, like weapon to, or a good weapon to have in your arsenal. So yeah, let's see how ICC treats it going into the future. Yeah, I mostly agree with what you're saying. Cricket um, uh, should be available to watch if. I mean, for everybody, really, isn't it? That's that should be the idea of the ICC, and they're not doing much with regard to that. Uh, I mean, I mean, I I got Sky. I mean, I got Sky Sports because I took it for the Ashes. Well, otherwise, I wouldn't have it, and I wouldn't be watching the World Cup qualifiers myself at this moment. So let's see how it goes. There's uh, too many variables over here, and no matter what uh, fans like us say, the powers that be, you know, take the decisions that they need to take. Anyway, so just, uh, you know, sorry to have digressed from the main topic on hand. I I know this happens every single time, doesn't it? (laughs) But something like this we discuss, like inevitably that that issue around the ICC or big three comes in and yeah, we, we just go off on a complete random tension. Anyway, so coming back to today's games, any predictions for how these matches are likely to go? So it's uh, Sri Lanka-Ireland, isn't it, today? And Yes. I, I think Sri Lanka should win that one quite comfortably. I mean, I think, I think they are. You know, I mean, Sri Lanka have, have got Patilana and he has not played a match yet. And uh, that's how strong the Sri Lankan team is. And uh, I think Ireland is... Uh, a, a bit short of confidence at the moment. I don't see them uh, uh, winning this match. Uh, which is the other match? Is it Scotland versus Oman? Uh, right. I think uh, that should be an interesting one, is it? Ted? Um, uh, right. Um, <laughs> I think I'll go <laughs> pick, with pick one. <laughs> I think I'll go with Oman on that one. <laughs> uh, on oh, those two, I mean, I, brave, yeah, brave yeah. decision. 
<laughs> yeah, so Sagar, I take it your predictions are Sri Lanka and Scotland? Well, Sri Lanka, I think, is that's pretty much to be taken for granted. But I think, like you said, you know, Oman did spring that surprise. But it, to me, the key differentiator is how Oman performed against Sri Lanka and how Scotland performed against... Did Scotland and Sri Lanka play? No, they haven't no, played not yet. yet. No, not yet. But, uh, you know, I think it's just the way they capitulated against Sri Lanka tells me that, you know, they might not be able to put up good performances consistently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then again, you never know. Since they had that absolute shellacking, they might actually up their game today and, uh, you know, everybody might be like uh, totally in and say, let's do this. Who knows? Yeah, so I'm also backing Sri Lanka um, to win against Ireland and Scotland against Oman. But like really, Scotland against Oman could go either way. I mean, Scotland are also weakened slightly in that they don't have their main strike bowler, Josh Davey, who once again, like due to county commitments, he couldn't make it here. Uh, but apart from that, they have pretty much a full-strength team, uh, with the, of course, with the exceptions of the retirement. So Kyle Kotzer and Callum McLeod, they have retired in the last couple of years. Uh, absolute assets for the team and veterans, you know, have have had great careers in the Scottish lineup. So with those two gone, the batting is a bit more flaky, but like I've been very impressed with how like Leesk has been doing down the order. Mark Watt as well, like Mark Watt also plays county cricket and you can always rely on him to give you that in T20s, you know, four overs, <laughs> 20 runs, two wickets and in one day is the same. 10 overs, 40 runs, two wickets. Like he's very consistent. I think yeah, Scotland have the edge yeah, over Oman. But yeah, Saga, so what were you saying? No, I was just saying that you can't rely on Mark Watt with his bowling, and you know that he will make those handy contributions down the order. But other than Richie Barrington and, say, to a certain extent, Michael Leesk after these recent performances, uh, who, who's Scotland's next reliable player? Would you say it's Chris McBride at the top? Uh, I would say it's George Muncy. So George Muncy, it's known for his heavy hitting and he's an absolute beast in the T20 format. One day he's not um, as dangerous uh, and he also bats in a different position. So he doesn't open the batting like he does in the T20s. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, he could explode at any moment. And when he explodes, he's mighty dangerous because um, if you guys remember, I think it happened in the 2021 T20 World Cup, if memory serves me correct. Um, George Muncy played reverse sweep six of Ashwin. Yeah, he did. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He he didn't play against UAE. Was that because he was injured or was he taking a break? Yeah, I'm not too sure about that. He did definitely play the first game. Yeah, he played against Ireland. Yeah. So it could just be injury or, yeah. And I think uh, the toss against uh, again becomes very crucial, isn't it? Oh yeah, def- definitely. Um, I think with Oman, if Scotland managed to get the top order out pretty cheaply, especially Aki Belias, who's in mighty good form, um, mm. then who knows how the rest of Oman's batting will uh, fare? Okay, so we are sure that Sri Lanka will win their game unanimously. And I think for at the moment we are two in favor of Scotland, one in favor of Oman. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, as you said, it depends on the toss. I think uh, but with, with Sri Lanka, it doesn't matter who wins the toss. I think uh, with the, but with uh, Scotland, uh, with Scotland Oman, I think it depends on the toss. You know, it is quite possible that Ireland might actually beat Sri Lanka. We don't know that. 
No, it is. It is. I mean, they have definitely they have the capability of any other team in the group. Um, I would have thought Ireland is the most capable of beating Sri Lanka. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I think Paul Sterling has to sh- show up. Paul Sterling needs to show up because then it frees up, you know, Tector and Tucker, the two most reliable young pe- batters at the moment. And then Josh Little finally needs to live up to his world ca- world class status. Yeah, okay. So as we speak, the toss has happened. Ireland have chosen to field in their game. And unsurprisingly, Oman have chosen to field in their match as well. So both the mm-hmm. winners, like the toss winners, have decided to field. So this is Very this is going to be pretty interesting now. It's okay, been so, the case throughout the tournament. Everybody, okay. every single team. <laughs> so, okay. Now that we know who's won the toss and what they've decided to do, any changes to the predictions? I'm still sticking with mine, Sandeep. Uh, well, I think it's... So, who is batting in Scotland-Oman match? Is it? Uh, George Munzee is out in the Scotland-Oman match. So, Scotland playing 11 is Matt Cross, uh, Chris McBride, Brandon McMullen, uh, Richie Barrington, Thomas McIntosh, Michael Lees, Chris Greaves, Mark Ward, Safian Sharif, and Chris Sol with Adrian Neal at the end. And Oman's Kashyap Prajapati, Jatinder Singh, Akib Elias, Zishan Maksud, Mohammed Nadim, Ayan Khan, Shoaib Khan, Nadim Khushi, Bilal Khan, Jay Odeidra, and Fayaz Bhatt. Yeah, I'll stick, still stick to my original predictions, Sri Lanka and Oman. Okay. Nice. I think now that Oman have won the toss and probably fielding, I think, and with George Munzi out, maybe Oman has a chance. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Never count out right. Michael Lisk. He's gonna get another like you know forty ball <laughs> sixty or. <laughs> yeah, you never know. Yeah. You never know. He, he, because he's just... he's pretty much been carrying Scotland to be honest. Because if you look at the Ireland game, if it wasn't for his innings, they would have definitely lost that. And That's also true. the other game against UAE, they were in a pretty precarious position at like fifty odd for four or something. And it was Leesk once again, uh, alongside uh, Mark Watt and then uh, I think a couple of other batters as well who like rescued them in that game as well. Uh, I think uh, we shall call it a wrap unless anyone of you want to make any additional comments. Uh, just just a comment about DRS. There has been no DRS so far. I think there will be DRS in from Super 6 state onwards. Uh, but Correct. it was quite hilarious. Quite hilarious to watch uh, some of the old tactics of uh, appealing loud and uh, uh, for long enough uh, intimidating the umpires uh, coming back with full force yesterday. Uh, Ryan Burl was given out when it was clearly missing uh, the leg stump. Uh, and uh, I mean, even Puran's say, one was, you know, um, Puran's one was a bit iffy. Um, yeah, but, true. but then again, I guess it cancels each other out. So. Yeah. <laughs> Akil Hussain and Shai, Shai Hope yeah, and sorry, Akil Hussain screamed, screamed their lungs out to get the dismissal. So that's how it was. <laughs> Aim on the ICC because this is an ICC tournament and there is no reason why they can't or shouldn't have DRS even in a qualifying round. I mean, if you're having it in the Super Sixes, there's nothing stopping you from having it in the pre-Super Sixes, is it? So, you know, they really need to up their game on this. Yeah, so I've, just, I've got some background info on that. Uh, apparently, the reason they don't have it from the start of the tournament is because a lot of the games are being played in like second tier grounds, you know, especially the Takashinga Cricket Club, which is not the main cricket ground um, in Zimbabwe. So Zimbabwe have the Harare ground in Bulawayo, and then they have secondary grounds in both those cities, which are also hosting games. And apparently, they don't have the 
technological capability of adding DR. So this is the rationale that I've heard. Uh, but going forward in the Super 6, as all games are going to be in the primary grounds, um, apparently they don't have that issue. I mean, like, look, um, like you guys, I'm a bit upset that DRS is not there. And, you know, I, I don't know, there could be alternative solutions found somehow, but um, at least I'm glad that it's going to be there in the Super 6 because, you know, it would be very sad if, um, and I don't think you can argue that has happened, but it would have been very sad if some team missed out on qualification to the Super 6 based on a really bad decision. As you know, what happened last time? So last time in 2018, Scotland were winning against West Indies and they got a terrible LBW decision, which meant that they fell behind on DLS and then the rain started pouring down, which meant that um, Scotland didn't make it and West Indies did. So yeah, we certainly didn't want anything like that to happen again. It then means that uh, you know the quality of the umpires appointed for these games should be absolutely top-notch. You know, they shouldn't then be skimping on elite panel umpires if there's no DRS. But anyway, it's a logistical issue and something for the ICC to address, I think. Yeah. Um, just one last uh, comment, guys. Uh, any comments on Nepal, uh, USA or um, UAE? I think because those are the teams we haven't really uh, addressed so far. Um, if you wanted to say something quick. So I'll, I'll go. I'll go first. I'll just say that uh, Nepal got a rough deal, like playing Zimbabwe and West Indies first up, but you know they, they won against USA, and I think I'm not surprised where they are. Um, ne- Netherlands surprised me because I fully expected them to lose against Nepal, but um, their bowling really showed up, like all the second-tier bowlers, and then the batting Max O'Dowd was imperious. The one team that's uh, other team that's really disappointed me is UAE because you know they they were in a, like they were playing really poorly in the lead up and then they turned the game around like they fired Robin Singh and after they fired Robin Singh like the batting seemed to get a new lease of life and you you had like Asif Khan, uh, Aravind, Ritya Aravind, then Mohammad Wasim like playing some magnificent innings but yeah pretty much none of them have really showed up this qualifier which is why they're sitting at three losses from three games. So, any, any further comments uh, from you guys? Yeah. Well, I just I just wanted to add that Nepal did have that promise, uh, but then again, you know, they had a, a couple of games where you know they really disappointed, especially the one against uh, Netherlands. You know, I thought that match should have been a much more closer game. I can understand Nepal losing to West Indies by a reasonably hefty margin because you know sometimes you can have a bad game against a better team. But, you know, I would have thought that Nepal and Netherlands would have been a much more closer match, especially the way they started the tournament, posting a score of, what, 300-something against Zimbabwe. Yeah, right. That's right. But Zimbabwe, like, yeah, they just chased it down, like, as if it was nothing by, like, yeah. eight wickets. So, yeah. 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 But I can, I think with Nepal in that Zimbabwe match, there are some encouraging signs with their batting, isn't it? I mean, they did bat quite uh, aggressively starting off uh, with Kushal Battle and Asif Sheikh uh, going uh, quite an impressive uh, pace, really. Uh, I think, uh, I mean, it is a young team, isn't it? This Nepal team, everybody's in their early 20s or something like that. So, and it's uh, good, nice to see some uh, young batters coming up. Uh, for a long time, they relied heavily on Paras Khadka to uh, get to the runs, isn't it? But that's not the case anymore. So, uh, hopefully, it will be a good learning curve for these youngsters, and they will uh, they can only get better. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, it was a bit unlucky that they had to play Zimbabwe and West Indies first on, but 
that's how it goes in these things. Um, the other one is about USA. I mean, uh, Gajanand Singh and uh, Shahya and Jahangir, where uh, they got uh, tons in those uh, matches uh, against West Indies and uh, Netherlands. Is it? So Shahya and Jahangir's uh, turn against Nepal. Yeah, so that was uh, quite good. Uh, Gajanand Singh. <laughs> the the funniest thing about Gajanand Singh's century was that uh, he is of Guyanese origin and cricket Guyana sent a tweet saying uh, congratulations to Gajanand Singh for his uh, century, but they did not congratulate West Indies for their victory. That was the bit uh, quite <laughs> Oh, man, I retweeted that. Um, I, it was so hilarious. Uh, yeah, it just shows that. you like how there's so much regionalism in West Indies cricket. <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think no, sticking with the USA theme, Peter De La Pena posted uh, his tweet expressing his disappointment at how the USA had not learned anything since their last assignment or basically the year that they spent playing Cricket World League, uh, World Cup League 2. There were no improvements whatsoever. And, you know, the performances of not just USA, but UAE and Nepal show that there is a huge gulf in the quality of cricket that you need to play a, to be within the top, say, 14, 16 teams in world cricket at the moment and basically where they are at the moment. And it just doesn't need, you know, individual players with uh, these one-off brilliant performances to come along. But it also needs a proper system and a structure in place where you're looking at multiple aspects of elite sports performances. And that includes proper coaching, your nutrition, your biomechanists, probably your technical coaches, uh, fitness regimes, and most importantly, having a regular schedule of matches where you basically expose yourself in real life match situations where you learn how to handle pressures of the game. How do you build an innings when you need to accelerate? You know, these things you don't learn from playing in the nets. You have to be on the field playing actual competitive games. And I think, you know, with the establishment of minor league cricket and now major league cricket, you know, USA cricketers can get access to that. We all know what a mess uh, can is in Nepal and how those players are actually deprived of any proper opportunities over there. So I'm not really surprised that we are seeing these performances from them, despite the promise and the talent that they have. And as I speak, Oman has pegged back Scotland by taking a very early wicket in the first over. Bilal Khan getting oh. uh, Chris McGride out LBW. Ah, nice. And Sri Lanka have scored 13 runs just off the first over. So it's already <laughs> looking ominous over there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. And my God, so, Josh Little bowled like two wides. One costing five runs, the other one costing three runs. Oh my God. So once again... Yeah, that, that's. <laughs> That's not, that's not going to happen. Okay. So it looks like Sri Lanka will win their game and Oman's likely to win their game. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm still sticking with Scotland, but I'll be the contrarian and I'll be like, yeah, go Scotland. <laughs> uh, good. Good. It's been wonderful having this chat and, you know, getting are we, are these we, thoughts are we out. making prediction for the final? So. No, not yet. Oh. I, think, I think we'll have to do, do that later. <laughs> too early. There's eh? So many variables. Too early. Too early for this. No, uh, well, I, I, I think I think we can say that Sri Lanka definitely will make it. Yeah. And Zimbabwe. 
probably Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe are in a very yeah. good position. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But we'll do those like next week when it's a bit closer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely. All right. Well, thank you, both of you. No. Enjoy your Sundays. And uh, yeah, may the best two teams win. Yep. Yeah. Thanks, right. guys. It was good, thank you. good fun. Thank you. Good fun. See you later. See ya. Bye. Bye.